You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Titus chapter 2. We're going to first look at verses 11 through 12 and then go back up and see Paul's instructions to Titus. Uh, to the older men and the younger men of the church in Crete. I want to preach to you a message I've simply entitled, Men of Grace. Men of Grace. Our area missionary shared this post yesterday, and it was addressed to preachers. And it goes like this. It says, yes, Sunday is Father's Day. Be careful about how you preach your message. Yes, God wants fathers to be spiritual leaders for the family and man up when it's time to do so. But but do not forget that Satan has attacked the family as God intends it. On Sunday, you may preach to men who have great dads and who were great dads but their family has been shattered by any number of things. Please remember, there is grace for that. On Sunday, you may preach to broken moms who have to play both roles in their small family. There's grace for that. You may preach to broken, fatherless daughters and sons who are constantly searching for their worth in any number of ways and Oh yes, God is a father to the fatherless, but don't forget the pain that comes from being fatherless. But there's grace for that. Please don't tell your congregation that God is a perfect father without recognizing that many of your listeners may not be at a place where they can reconcile that idea when they are faced with the absence, abuse, or any number of difficult events at the hands of their father. But remember, there's grace for that. Let's read Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. He shed His blood for you, and to prove that God's grace was real, God raised Jesus from the dead and offers God's grace to you in Jesus' name alone. You can be forgiven, you can be saved, you can have a relationship with God as your Father. Now please don't misunderstand the text because we like to bring our understanding of grace and press it in on the text. Let the text tell you what grace is. Grace incarnate, Jesus Christ, did not come to lower God's standard. Grace incarnate, Jesus Christ, did not give repentant believers in Jesus a free pass to sin and to live as they please. Grace incarnate, who is Jesus Christ, did not just pay and absorb the penalty and punishment for our sins. Write this down, it's in your notes, and I don't want you to miss it. Grace is not a pass. Grace is not a pass. And it's not just about penalty. 
It's not just about getting your punishment for your sin out of the way, although Jesus did do that. But listen to me, church, and this is the third thing that's the most important. But grace is power. Power. It's not a pass. It's not just about absorbing your penalty and the punishment for your sins, but it's about giving you a power to do something. What is it? Listen again to verse 12. Instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way when in the present age. We tend to think of salvation and God's grace as something as a one-time gift of salvation we received at the moment we repent of our sins and trust Jesus as our Savior and only as something else that we receive when Jesus Christ returns and we experience a new heaven and a new earth. Let me tell you something though. God's grace has something for you now in the present age. What is it? Grace incarnate or Jesus Christ wants and desires to impart holiness to you. What is holiness? Holiness is difference. Holiness is difference. When we say God is holy, we're saying there is no one like you, God. No one ever. And guess what God wants to do? God wants to make you holy as He is holy. He wants to make you different. And He does it by instructing you in grace. God's grace teaches and trains you to renounce a life of functional atheism. We have a lot of Christians who are functional atheists. They say they believe in God, but when you look at their life, it shows no concern for the things of God. They are godless and they live after their worldly lust. And grace teaches us to renounce that. If you've really experienced grace incarnate, Jesus Christ, it's not about something that God saved you from in your past. It's not just about something God's going to do in your future. He's here to renounce something in your life now, in this present age, and for you to embrace God-empowered self-control right now, every day. God wants to make a difference in your life now. No human is adequate to be all that God desires for them to be apart from God's grace. Becoming the father or man that God wants you to be will not come through self-effort, but only by God's grace, power, and help. It's imperative then that you trust Jesus alone. And if you do, what will Jesus do in your life, men? What do men of grace look like? Are you ready? Let's look at Titus chapter 2, verse 2. And we're just going to take it in, uh, in order. And this is Paul spelling out to Titus what grace in the life of a man looks like. Titus chapter 2, verse to older men. Now let's stop right there. I'm going to go ahead and give you some biblical definitions of age so you won't get mad at me. There's two schools of thought. 
that if you're under 40, you're young, and if you're over 40, you're old. That's one school of thought. The other school of thought is if you're over 60, you're old, and if you're over 12, you're young. You're a young man. You choose whatever school of thought you like, all right? Because what you're going to see, and here's why I say that, there's a lot of overlap between what God expects of young and old men of grace. Look at this first thing. Older men are to be self-controlled. Now, Paul's, the Christian Standard Bible here in this instant doesn't quite do the Greek justice. Because this is the exact same word in the Greek, if you'll, if you'll look to verse 6, in the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Okay? That's actually not the same Greek word. Alright? So we actually have two different Greek words in verses 2 and in verse 6 that in English are translated the same way, but they're actually a little bit different. So let me give you very technically what the word in the Greek in verse 2 is. The first word, self-control, is better translated sober or temperate. And some of your translations may have that. So here's what I want you to think about. It's from a word group that literally means holding no wine or wineless. The word came to be used more broadly to include complete clarity of mind and its resulting good judgment. Having no impaired faculties, we would say it today being clear-headed. So number one, the very first thing you need to write down is that men of grace, they are sober and clear-headed. They are sober and clear-headed. I do want you to know, and I'm going to preach on it, okay, that we as Bible-believing men of God understand that intoxication is a sin against God. No wine or physical element should control us. We should be empowered by the Holy Spirit and in control of ourselves at all times. And if wine impairs you, don't have anything to do with it. Be sober. But it also includes this, and I need you to see this. We like to just point out the physical elements. There are other things that can intoxicate us and impair our faculties as well. I'm just going to pick on one that you see reoccurring in the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Some men aren't clear-headed. Some men, quite frankly, and I include myself in this category at times, we're fat-headed. I don't mean we just have a big head. We're not intoxicated by wine, but we're intoxicated with ourselves. We think of ourselves more than we ought to. We're full of ourselves. You say, well, I'm not full of yourself. I'm not full of myself. Well, then let's test yourself. These are the things that get to me. Can you be criticized and not feel anything? Have you secretly wished for another's misfortune so that you might get ahead? Do you feel small when you meditate on the greatness of God? If not, you might be a little fat-headed and not clear-headed. See, not only can wine skew our faculties, but pride can as well. 
And we should abstain from anything that skews our self-understanding, according to the Bible, our vision and picture of others, and our experience of the immensity of God. The grace of God at work in the life of a man shows up in sobriety and clear-headedness, a good understanding of who he is, who others are, and the greatness and enormity of who God is. That's what a man of grace looks like. Look at the second verb that's used here, a second noun that's used here. It says they are to be self-controlled or sober, and then worthy of respect. Worthy of respect. In the Greek text, it literally means they're to be serious. So number two, they are serious, not clowns. They are serious, not clowns. Being worthy of respect is not someone who is intimidating or foreboding, who can't tell a joke or take a joke. But someone serious is someone who's serious about the things of God. They're serious about love and laughter. They are serious about righteousness and justice. They are serious about faith and risk. They are serious about their family and church. Men, I don't want raise of hands here, but has anyone ever told you you're a joke? Or maybe you've heard this, my dad's a joke, or my husband, he's a joke. And what they're saying is because of your behavior, you're looked down on, you're despised, and you're not worthy of their respect. Now, I understand some people can be mean. But if everyone around you is pointing out the same thing, not everybody can be wrong. I like what the esteemed preacher Warren Wiersbe said, is men, are we making it easy for others to respect us? Are we making it easy for our wife to respect us? Are we making it easy for our children to respect us? Are we making it easy for our church to respect us? Are we making it easy for the community, especially the unbelieving community, to respect us as men who claim to have experienced the grace of God? We're worthy of respect. We are serious. We're not just clowns and buffoons. What do men of grace look like? Look at the third thing he says here. And this one is rightly, I think, translated. It says, Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible. Sensible. And this is really the word, our word nowadays. They are self-controlled. They are self-controlled. Self-controlled men can curb their physical and sexual appetites, their natural impulses, and their ambitious desires. They control their passions instead of their passions controlling them, just chasing the whims of their wishes. Man, I'm going to give you a list of questions. These are some questions that me and some other young men and our church ask one another to keep each other accountable when it comes to this area of self-control. And I'll tell you, you're not going to make it through this list. I just want you to kind of highlight some areas in which, by God's grace and help, we can exhibit more self-control in our lives. Let me ask you a couple of things. Are you a slave to work, hobbies, and this phone?
That's a lack of self-control. Do you go to bed on time and get up on time? Man, these are things that exhibit self-control. Are you taking care of your body? This is something I struggle with. With physical exercise, proper eating, and sleeping habits. This is a part of self-control. Do you have outbursts of anger? Can you control your tongue and your words? Are you easily offended? Have you exposed yourself to any sexually alluring material or allowed your mind to entertain inappropriate thoughts about someone who is not your spouse? Have you done anything that compromised your integrity with the opposite sex? Do you have anything that you desire to keep secret? These questions, I think, probe our hearts and they show up and tell us what areas of our life that are not under our control. And let me tell you, there is help. Who helps you control you? I just find it so amazing that the biblical answer to who helps me control me is not me. Isn't that good? Thank you, God. What a wonderful provision of grace. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the chief person in empowering and giving grace to you to control you. I think it should be the cry of every man's heart, young or old, Holy Spirit, give me more grace to control my life. Don't let my sinful passions and desires run and ruin me. But can I, think, can I tell you one other grace that God has given you to help control you? And please don't miss the forest for the trees. God in His infinite wisdom gave you the church. Look around. If I cut my finger, I don't leave it up to my finger to get a band-aid. It don't have a brain, right? If you're hurting or if you need help, one of the best things you can do is communicate with the rest of the body of Christ. I read a book, interesting, it's not written from a Christian perspective. The book's entitled Addicted to Lust. And it was a sociologist's perspective on conservative Protestant men who overcame their addiction to pornography. And Samuel Perry writes this, rather, virtually all, he's talking about these conservative Protestant men, recalled a catalog of practical steps they took. And it fell into two categories. Everybody ready? Number one, they eliminated all access to the source of their struggle. If you know this phone is an issue, you can live without your phone. You can live without your laptop. You can live without a ton of things. They've done it for millennia. Okay? We'll make it. And Jesus said it this way. Hey, I'd rather gouge out your eye and cut off your head than go to hell. You can live without this. So what area of self-control that you just need to look at and say, I need to eliminate all the access that's there because I can't control it. But the second thing that was equally important is they talked to other Christians about their temptations. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't understand this in the church, is when people who struggle the most, we keep them in isolation and silence. 
This should be a place of refuge. There is not a place for a single perfect person here. If you're perfect, my church don't need you. You can go to the church down the road. All right? But if you're imperfect, welcome to the family. It's one big mess. You'll do great at Mount Carmel. So what I want to encourage you to do, instead of just hiding it away, go find you some strong, older men who can keep secrets and confidence. I mean that with gentleness and respect. That you can bear your soul to and your temptations with. Because what you'll find, like Scripture says, when we confess our sins, we find cleansing. Well, how dare the Bible be right? And yet we cut ourselves off from one another. I don't want a single man in here who's struggling with any area of self-control feel like they can't come to their pastor or Pastor Aaron or to our deacons or a Sunday school teacher and say, look, I need help. That is, this is the place that that word is a great word. All right? Tragically, some men, and this is a part, I think this is that toxic masculinity you hear talked about. I do want to address it. Some men think it is weak to look at another man and say, I need your help. But from a biblical perspective, it is God's wisdom. It is Holy Spirit empowered courage. It takes a mature, godly man to look another mature, godly man in the face and ask the tough questions and answer the tough questions. That's what men of grace do who helps control you. Let's look at verse four, or the, uh, number four in verse two, the fourth thing. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, and then notice what it says, sound in faith, love, and endurance. Number four. They are in a spiritually healthy condition. They are in a spiritually healthy condition. The word sound literally means hygienic. They're healthy. And they're healthy in three spiritual areas. The very first one is faith. Men of grace are healthy in faith. They have put their personal trust in Jesus as their Savior and God. But this isn't just some one-time incident in the past. Jesus is real to them every day. You say, how do I know if Jesus is real to me? Let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you abide in Jesus' word, this holy book? Are you giving time for the Bible to speak to you every day? Are you enjoying prayer every day? Men, if your faith is important to you, if it's healthy, whether you're about to be married or if you've been married a thousand years, when was the last time you led your wife and your children in family devotions? When was the last time you spoke to someone about your faith? Are you faithfully communing with this church? Or do you invest in your faith only when it pleases you? As long as it's not disruptive to your schedule, as long as it costs you nothing significant. Here's what I have found. Only mature, godly men who've experienced the grace of God have a sense of personal investment in the faith with discipline, worship, and fellowship. And let me press it a little bit home on Father's Day. 
Professor Vern Bungston of the University of Southern California in his book, Families and Faith, How Religion is Passed Down Across Generations, found this in his research. 56% of kids with a close relationship with their dads share his level of religious commitment. Did you catch that? Over half of kids who say, I am close to my dad, whatever his level of spiritual commitment is, that's their level. Dads, you influence your children's faith. And it's interesting, while just 36% of kids with a weaker relationship to their father can say the same thing, there is a 20% difference between kids and their religious commitment and whether their dads are seriously committed or non-committed. Fathers, whether you want to or not, you are influencing your children's faith. Take your faith serious. Let it be healthy. Let it be sound. The second area he says, he says, let it be sound or healthy in love. Love makes every effort to give yourself your time, your talents, your resources, your money, and your energy to satisfy others' concerns and interests before your own and whether that person deserves it or not. Now, I can tell you this. God deserves your love. But often, you'll feel like your family, your church, your co-workers, your community, and unbelievers do not deserve your love. And what the Bible teaches me is love them anyway. When, the last, when was the last time you did something for your family, your church, your community, unbelievers, or your God out of love with no expectation of being rewarded? Just sheer love, nothing more. When's the last time you gave for the relief of the poor and the spread of the gospel among the nations? A man has to have a vibrant, healthy, personal love. And then this third area in which he is to be sound or happy. The word here is endurance, but that's not really a great, great translation. It's close. It really means in pressure. I love this. In pressure. The Greek word is hupomeno. The word hupo means under, and meno, ain't talking about fishes, alright? Meno means to stand or to stay. Metaphorically, it means to stay under pressure, to bear trials, to remain under pressure. Here's what I love about the saints of old. They're tough. They're tough. The mature, godly man knows something of the saint's hope and inheritance, and it motivates him not to give up. Instead, a godly man full of the grace of God is able to put up with difficult people with great patience. They endure circumstances when the odds are stacked against them. Hope has caused them to work the long nights and through the hardship. It causes them to accept the disappointments. It causes them to look at adversity one more time and ask, is that all you've got? The mature godly man does not lose heart because his hope is Jesus and Jesus got up again. So he can handle being under pressure one more time. 
I love to see a man of God full of the grace of God that just says, bring it on. Bring it on. God's kept me through it. He'll keep me to the end. So what? What are we to do? There's a reoccurring theme. If you look, and I've now preached through most of Titus chapter 2, one word keeps reoccurring throughout this whole chapter. Self-control. 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 A.W. Locke observes, Self-control is the one of the essential characteristics of the Christian life. One of the purposes of the incarnation. Do you catch what he just said? Self-control, granting people the ability to control their lives is one of the reasons why Jesus Christ came to the earth. And here's what I found. I used to think that was silly. And as the older I get, the, the, the more I see men of great self-control, I realize what a miracle it is, how otherworldly it is. Write this down. People of grace. This includes older men, younger men, older women, younger women. But people of grace are self-controlled. And guess what this does? Which makes much of Jesus. It makes much of Jesus. What do you mean, Josh? Self-control is so opposite and so elusive to the unbelieving world that when grace incarnate, Jesus Christ, ripples through lives and manifests Himself in age, every age group exhibiting self-control, God is glorified in unbelievers' eyes. They ask themselves, what power can change and control my destructive desires? And grace incarnate can look through our lives and we can say, Jesus can not only bring you salvation from the past and the, and the, and the future to come, but He can give you self-control in this present age. Know Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Stay in His Word. Pray to Him. Ask Him to grant you every grace to control your life. I want to call you this morning to renounce your sins and trust grace incarnate Jesus Christ for your salvation now and hereafter and for self-control presently. Follow the direction and the desire of the Holy Spirit who wants to change and control your attitudes, your words, your affections and behaviors. And here's what I can trust according to God's Word, that if you ask God to give you more grace, there is always grace that is greater than all of your sin. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.